0: Welcome to Ponderings from the Purge, the Little Bird Marketing Podcast. This is the modern podcast for the modern entrepreneur, and you're going to be so happy today because so many people are writing in asking me to actually talk with real entrepreneurs. And today I have one on for you that really came to me as a surprise. I'm so delighted to have him on. Let's talk to Greg Sugar.
1: Hi, Priscilla. How are you doing? Fine. Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, my goodness. I'm totally thrilled. So I'm going to tell people a little bit about you, and then I'm going to let you take it away and talk a lot about what's going on right now because you have really a lot on your plate. But Greg Sugar is a serial entrepreneur. He's the the co-founder of The Thread Experiment. This is a really interesting concept. It is the world's first brand of home bedding dedicated to men. This is so interesting. I can't wait to hear more about this. I do know you. I did follow you a little bit about what was going on with the tie bar. I know that's just crazy business now. So I want to hear a little bit about your experience and what brought you through owning the tie bar and then moving on into a new experience. But the cool thing is I always start with a new guest on talking about a little bit of the Venn diagram of us, Priscilla McKinney and Greg Sugar the Venn diagram. So on one side, I'd love to hear some kind of fun fact that there's no way that you and I have in common. I have to say, I do not write for Entrepreneur Magazine. So we already don't have that in common. (laughs) Mm -hmm. What's some other fun fact about you, Greg? Let's round out and make you a person here.
1: Um, I was on Wheel of Fortune when I was in college.
0: Get out of town. You might, I might need to send you a trophy for that one from my show. Like that is, that probably is one of the best Venn diagram pieces. Fun fact. I love it. I love it. Well, in the middle, well, uh, here's mine on the other side. You probably did not go to boarding school in Germany.
1: Or boarding school at all. Correct. Boarding
0: school at all. Let's leave it right there. You didn't go to boarding school. So, (laughs) but in the middle, we are serial entrepreneurs and that's where the two of us meet. It's funny. I went out to a high school and a middle school during one week here locally to do some business talks and things like that that was so cute. I had the middle schoolers. I went up and asked, do you know what a serial entrepreneur is? And one of them raised their hand and says, "Is do you murder people? <laughs> and um, another kid's like, do you make cereal boxes? <laughs> so I think that the rest of our listeners today know what a serial entrepreneur is. So let's lead with that. Let's let's hear about your serial entrepreneur journey, Greg.
1: Sure. I mean, I guess it started, I was, uh, I was an attorney in Chicago for eight years mm-hmm. and I think my wife and I did what a lot of uh, husbands and wives do, and they talk about good business ideas throughout their. had probably previously thrown out 10 or 12, but there was one that was thrown out, and we still argue over whose idea it was. But we threw one out, and it kind of stuck. And my wife used to always say it made the most sense to us because three days later, it still sounded like a good idea, <laughs> unlike some of our other ideas. Right. So and that idea was, uh, it was basically, it was 2004. So e-commerce was sort of just getting started. And in the world, in, in the economic world was going well. We hadn't come anywhere close to the recession right. or even the bubble. And so people were <laughs> still accustomed to paying a lot of money for anything, especially apparel and didn't have a problem with it. So neckties, I was wearing a tie every day. I was an attorney and one morning my little 3-year-old uh, threw something at me and I got uh, cereal all he threw cereal, I got it all over my tie. And I got very frustrated that I'd have to buy another $50 tie. And I thought, why is this tie $50? especially since my shirt was about $30 and about 10 times the amount of fabric. And one of us threw out the idea of, you know, why isn't there a place where you could just get ties on the cheap? Mm -hmm. A brand of ties, right? So not necessarily an off-price department store, but just a brand of ties that is always inexpensive. And we did a little research. We found a website back then very few people had heard about. Now a lot of have. It's called Alibaba. <laughs> Alibaba is now quite a few things, but one of its real core business is that it serves as almost a broker between anyone who wants to import from a foreign country, basically anything, not just apparel, and then factories lit, uh, list their factories online so people like us can find them. Mm-hmm. And so we found our first factory through there, and it blew my mind. That was paying $50 for a tie, given how inexpensive they were. And I'm not talking about polyester or microfiber.
0: Yeah, something super nice. So, this cereal on your tie doesn't have anything to do with you becoming a cereal entrepreneur, though, right?
1: No, no. Uh,
0: we're going to walk uh, away from that one. Okay. No,
1: not one of those middle school kids. <laughs> Right. right. Awesome.
0: Okay. So this idea really stuck and you're right. This, I think it's hard for us to go back to 2004, how truly innovative it was to be in e-commerce and taking your business there first. What got you guys thinking about doing e-commerce first?
1: And the reason we went online is actually kind of funny. It's, It's because no department store would give us the time of day. I couldn't get a buyer on the phone. I couldn't figure out who a buyer was to any uh, menswear store or department store. Mm-hmm. And so anything short of signing a five-year lease and setting up shop in your local city was impossible except for s- establishing a website. Mm-hmm. Back then, mm-hmm. because there were no department stores online, we, were, we had the benefit of competing against other people who were just kind of operating their own little stores out of their home. And against those people, I guess we did pretty well, but we weren't up against the big guys. It made things a lot easier starting out, certainly much different than
0: we have now. Right. Absolutely. Today. It's just, yeah, it's a completely different world, but I see, we'll talk a little bit more about where you're going now and see that you guys are continuing to innovate in different industries. And that's kind of one way I see staying ahead of the curve because at this point, of course, going online, that seems like the obvious choice, but there's always something out there in entrepreneur world that is not the obvious choice right now. It's a matter of doing it before people. So 2004, (laughs) gone are those days for most businesses now, but I think that... You have the fundamentals of the business, even starting from the very simple simple common sense principle, which I love about a lot of things I read from you, is does it still sound like a good idea three days later? <laughs> so um, right. starting starting from that idea is, is super cool, and I love the way you kind of demystify that entrepreneur experience. So, so, what did you guys learn from Tybar and what was maybe the turning point or the best learning for you together?
1: Well, what we learned was and where our turning point was, about a year into the business, we had been doing okay. You know, just uh, we used to call it the lemonade stand because we'd make a few extra bucks. But a year into the business, um, the Chicago Tribune wrote an article about our ties. And the article is fantastic because the premise was, can you tell the difference between a $15 tie? Because that was what we did. We sold all of our ties for $15. That was our brand. Mm -hmm. Can you tell the difference between a $15 tie and a $150 tie? And it was on the front page of their Sunday style section. Wow. It it got about two and a half pages dedicated to the entire section with pictures. They interviewed some customers of ours. And so in essence, it put our business plan right out there and concluded that, in fact, very few people could tell the difference and that, in essence, it was a waste of money if you were going to be spending a lot of money on a tie. And uh, that got the name out. The day before that article came out, we had done nine orders. That was a a standard day for us. Mm -hmm. And the day the article came out, we did 206 orders. Wow. The day after we, we did 160 the day after and so forth. And, a month after, we were still moving strong just from that one article, wow. and that was the point where my wife looked at me and said, "Why are you still practicing law? It's time to quit <laughs> and help me run this business full time."
0: Well, I I love that idea. I was actually just in London. I had this awesome breakfast with another entrepreneur there who's actually Canadian, but they did a lot of what you've done. They went directly to e-commerce at a time you know before that was really common. A lot of people did the brick and mortar first, and then if it was successful, then went to e-commerce. And so I find that interesting there was a time when what you guys did in 2004 really was not the typical solution so i love that and then really just staying online without this intent but you did have a small experience or a small experiment in going brick and mortar isn't that right
1: yeah we did and it's funny because now you see it everywhere where these online brands are starting to open up pop-up shops and then Permanent shops around right. the country. Uh, right. Warby Parker did it, Bonobos, and so many other brands. Yeah, we actually did it in 2006. We opened up a kiosk in the summer of 2006 at a, a premium outlet mall in the Chicago area. Mm-hmm. And it was great because people who had found us in Chicago knew we had this kiosk. And they could, you know, there's still some people, and certainly in 2006, there were still plenty of people not comfortable shopping online. And it really was like a nice little supplement for our for our online brand. Um, We pushed traffic that way, and we even pushed traffic the other way, meaning that people who had just seen us in the mall and couldn't commit to buying ties knew that they can go home and buy something online. The concept was totally new. I remember MSNBC did a story on us online, and the story almost questioned our our tactic and thought (laughs) we were a little crazy in what we were doing. But it really was a good idea. It worked nicely, but we, we didn't continue the lease when it was done. And uh, ultimately, we didn't get back to it till the company opened its first pop pop-up shop uh, back in 2013. So it was seven years later.
0: Wow. Okay. And then now, are you operating exclusively just online? So now, I'm not involved with the Thai bar in mm-hmm.
1: the day-to-day anymore. In mm-hmm. 2013, as I once mentioned to you, we got bought out. A right. private equity group came in and some big Fancy guys with their own suits and ties came in and (laughs) bought us out and took over the company. So they have since uh, opened up a permanent store in Chicago. I'm on the board. I still own a small percentage, but I'm no longer involved with the day-to-day. But I have started a new e-commerce company because I just couldn't stand still and learn how to play golf.
0: There's the serial entrepreneur. So, and you know, MSNBC probably said it best. Maybe you're a little crazy. So that's, that's exactly the next yes. step towards entrepreneurship. So yeah, tell us about that journey because this is really interesting. I do actually, I know this is going to sound odd. You probably don't hear this a lot, but I do have a lot of friends in the betting industry. And that's because in our backyard here is Leggett and Platt. that has their hands in a lot of worldwide betting. So I do have a lot of friends in this industry and I don't think that is probably very normal, <laughs> but, Um, So because of that, I'd like to hear about this. And I'll I'll give the one thread to the two of these is both of these are geared toward men. These are both things that are e-commerce toward men. And I got to tell you, with owning my own agency, it's very rare that I have someone come with a retail product and on top of it be e-commerce and it be geared toward men. So tell me a little bit about this new endeavor you're in, which is the thread Experiment, and maybe talk a little bit too about why men, is there something interesting and unique about, obviously there's something interesting and unique about how you actually market to men for online purchases?
1: I mean, listen, I I, I learned to understand men's shopping habits, their behavior online, their preferences in design. I learned all that through the tie bar. So I certainly wanted to leverage that knowledge right. into my next business. And in fact, with the Tie Bar, there were times we sold to women. We do a lot of wedding parties, um, and there's a lot of times the women buy it. And I would end up on the phone or an email exchange with the women buyers. And I realized I don't understand women as shoppers. <laughs> I actually don't understand them at all. But You I didn't don't get that from your years
0: of marriage first? <laughs> no. I don't no, understand in fact, them. I, I may have gone
1: backward. Yeah. Oh, no. So so anyway, so that's, that's why I want to stick with men. But I had the same sort of a personal experience. In this case, we moved into a new home, and it was char- time to uh, – to buy some bedding and I went to the department store and I found a lot of flowers and I found a lot of turquoise and a lot of bright yellows and pinks but I could <laughs> not find anything that appealed to me and I walked up to the woman in Bloomingdale's and I said can you show me where your men's bedding is and she looked at me like I had two heads something that I would like you know instead of something that my wife might like I said well we have some solid colors do you want solid and I thought no I don't want solid I I'd like a design and she's like well we don't really have anything like that hmm. So I went into the next department store, the next department store. I went to some specialty shops, and I really found there was very little out there that appealed to, I would call, men's tastes. Mm -hmm. We we do a lot of Facebook ads, and we hear periodically from some people who talk about uh, how fragile is your masculinity that you need masculine bedding, and it's not really (laughs) like that. We just want to find, you know, just like bicycles, some designed for men, some for women. I felt the same thing needed to be done in men's, and so we came up with some Uh, designs that were inspired by menswear you know we created them ourselves in coloring that we felt was neutral and again appeals to men and we came out with our first collection we launched about a year and a half ago and uh, and we are the first and still the only brand of men's bedding i will say however there are some brands who have clearly made a decision to create some more masculine designs And they were not doing that when I came up with this idea three years ago. Right. So you're, so striking, truly, you're striking a
0: nerve here in, in the market.
1: <laughs> I, I really think that I am. It's not always the best to be first, though. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we go through some of the growing pains that a lot of startups go through. And uh, But but the truth is, I think we did strike something. I think this is, we're the first in the category, but I don't think we're going to be the last. Right. I think eventually, you know, you're seeing men got much more into fashion in the, in the last, let's say, eight to ten years. They started to care about their skin. They started to care about their grooming, you know, their their beards and their mustaches. Right. And I think home decor is the next frontier for men. Mm-hmm. I do think they're going to start caring a lot more about the way their home looks. And I think that always starts in the bedroom.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, here's an interesting thing that you bring up with kind of the tie-in from your success back with the tie bar is that you indicated a big part of the success at the beginning was this really strong PR piece. And so I'm wondering now in the threat experiment, what has been your experience or are you able to get into that PR piece as well? Has that been easier, harder? Do you feel like that's luck?
1: No, we, we actually have had some incredible press. GQ has featured our sheets, uh, Men's Health, Esquire, Ask Men. Um, we've been on live with Michael and Kelly. Kelly and Michael? I forget. Anyway, <laughs> um, we, we've actually gotten some great press. I think people who get what we're doing love what we're doing. Right. I think there are certainly some people who don't get it, but those who do have really taken to us, and they, uh, you know, they typically have an audience or readership of men and men who are always looking to improve in any way. So whether it be clothing, work-related, um, or in this case, in the home. So mm-hmm. uh, we've gotten some great press. And it's really worked in our favor because I think it's one of those things that when we strike a chord with the right guy, that guy who had the same experience as I did, that guy says, wow, I'm so glad this thing is here because this is what I've been needing and, and just couldn't find
0: Right. Well, I want to come back to that issue of PR. And I think I'd, I'd like to end with it. So before that, I want to talk with you about one other thing. But now you are writing and really a thought leader in this men's online um, industry, in my opinion, I, and not just men's online industry, just in entrepreneurship. Obviously, you write for Entrepreneur Magazine, but I appreciate your articles. And this is what's so funny. This is what led you to being on the show is that I read an article that you had that was about two things that entrepreneurs should not think about. And i it's so funny because I share articles that I think would be interesting to my audience, and I shared it, and my only comment was, hmm, what do you think? And, you know, I got some interesting feedback, and you were one of the interesting pieces of feedback, and that's how we ended up connecting. But I wanted to have my listeners hear from you. The two things that came up in that article were about entrepreneurship, and the one thing is that people are always asking us is they want to kind of figure out – how much do we make you know right. once you once you talked about that in your blog article, I was just like, "Oh man, that's just painful i it totally resonates with me." And the other thing was people are always asking us like, well, how are you going to get out of it? Does it ever end entrepreneurship? But in general, my opinion is this society is really putting us as entrepreneurs up on pedestals a lot of times and we get really praised and really admired, but we're not understood very much. And I'm not Mm -hmm. saying that being praised or admired is like, oh, because we're so worth it. I'm just saying that's what our society does. We tend to really give a lot of strong accolades to entrepreneurs. I mean, would you agree with that? Do you think that's fair?
1: The second time around, there's there's pressure. I did some interviews and people were asking me how quickly before the new company took off. And the problem is, is that you start over and that company does well or does poorly on its own merits. And what you've done in the past is no reflection on what you'll do in the future. Hmm. Um and so that those are the types of questions I used to get a lot. Um and it, it I did feel a little pressure.
0: Right, right.
1: Um they, they do ask you what revenue is like, a lot of friends might ask you, you know, how's Mm -hmm. your company doing next to your revenue, which I always think is weird, because I've never walked to a doctor and said, how much money do you make, which is in essence, what they're doing,
0: (laughs) right? Um, So some somehow people feel like they have permission to really ask very interesting questions to entrepreneurs, you're right, that they wouldn't be asking to other business leaders. It's kind of like I liken it to you you haven't experienced this, but being pregnant in public and people feel the need and the permission to touch your belly. And it's like, wait, what what happened here? just because I'm pregnant doesn't mean you could touch this. And, you know, that's to me, that's that entrepreneurship. Everybody is just really so curious that I feel like they want to know more. And I know it comes from that very good spot, but they are weird questions to field. And I, I do like how you you come out and you deal with some of these uh, questions. And I, I feel like you just tell the truth about them. And I think specifically that truth that you're saying that just because you did really well as an entrepreneur in one company. Yes, you have skills. Yes, you know more the second time around. But you still have to start at the bottom just like everybody else. And that is one of those things I think people don't totally understand, or I think maybe don't even totally appreciate how you really have to start over and knowing a little bit more does that help sure but even the market is changing out from under us i mean think about how different the market is in 2004 when you started the first one too i mean it's like a different world right
1: that i completely agree with i mean i'm I'm, i am now working in a completely different environment Mm -hmm. um with different challenges and different you know different competitors the whole thing is completely different i will say someone once asked me well elon musk did it twice I said, well, that's Elon Musk. <laughs> I'm not walking around telling people I'm Elon Musk. I am not. That guy is, you know, is is obviously a real talent. Mm-hmm. But um, sort of like your standard operating uh, entrepreneur guy, mm-hmm. that's me. And for me, I don't think it's so easy to do the second time. Right. But we're doing it. We're actually doing quite well with Threat Experiment.
0: Well, I think it's really interesting. So let's come back to the last thing I want to talk with you about, which is, I think a real controversial piece you also put out about PR. And it was interesting to me because as a full service agency here, the only two things we don't do that we actually outsource is PR and market research. So we, we we do not get involved in that at all. And I want to preface this conversation by saying that one of my favorite quotes from Guy Kawasaki is that social media is God's gift to entrepreneurs. And I love that quote. And to me, it's like we now have unprecedented access to the end user without necessarily buying through traditional media channels. And I know that's where you started your article, but you really talked about how PR is something that we can also do through social media channels and we don't have to necessarily necessarily be paying for that PR and that placement. And to give a fair shake, you really got to read this article that Greg wrote, because he's definitely not putting a nail in the coffin for PR and PR experts, because there's definitely a place for them. But you've had a lot of good experience with PR and how it lifted your companies. So just explain to my listeners a little about what you were saying in that controversial article about how you can harness as a company, as an entrepreneur, how you can harness the power of PR through social media and and specifically you talked a lot about facebook
1: yeah and and again just like you said i mean the irony is is that my my first company in particular really took off because of pr Mm -hmm. and constant uh uh, uh, features in great magazines like gq and esquire so that's sort of the irony but what's happened is I, i wrote that there's sort of what's going on with social media it's affecting pr and i think there's two reasons So the first reason actually is with Facebook, um, we're now much more in tune to news, right? Even more so than the 24-hour news channels. Mm -hmm. When you go into your Facebook feed, you are seeing news by the minute and people are following so many different places to get news and not not even necessarily political news, sports, fashion, whatever. As a result, because it's so easy to consume news now, I don't think people are as loyal as they used to be to a certain Mm -hmm. news outlet. Right. And because of that, when that news outlet now features a company, you know, like Threat Experiment or or any other company, my belief is that they aren't as influential as they used to be mm-hmm. because people aren't as loyal to those magazines or those newspapers, mm-hmm. and so that l- lack of influential or I shouldn't say lack, but it's not as strong as it used to be of influence. Mm-hmm. Um, I really think is in one way affecting the power of PR. I think it's scaling it back a little bit. Mm-hmm. The second one deals a little bit, I'm sorry, go ahead.
0: No, I was just saying, I agree. It's it's totally totally a noisy environment. And I don't think that we're necessarily vetting our news as like, oh, well, where did it come from? I mean, I don't think that's happening in that kind of critical thinking. I think we're absorbing a general consumer is just absorbing the news that's getting fed, right?
1: That's correct. I mean, we are paying a lot less attention to to the sources of our news. And listen, there's a lot of fashion bloggers out there. There's a lot of fashion magazines that just are online. They're lower costs. And so it's easier to get your stuff published, too. So again, that makes everything, like you said, noisier. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot less influence coming from really the big guys out there. Mm -hmm. And so I really think that that affects when they speak highly of a brand. I think it affects how influential they are on their readers. I think just 10 years ago, even last five years ago, those those leaders were a lot more influential. And therefore, if you got placed in one of those leaders, the impact was so much more favorable to your company, if you were to be featured.
0: Right. So I totally agree with that. So that's really, in general, a lack of loyalty to one specific channel. So what was your second point?
1: So the second point is it really deals with social media advertising. So you know, there, people talk about social media. They used to refer to basically the free posts mm-hmm. that companies get <laughs> from Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and, and we all know that that world has deteriorated into basically nothing. Yeah, that's, so I'm that's really nice about, put it. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I'm really talking about paid social media marketing. Right. And it it has become affordable. It's—I mean, I should say—it's still affordable. It's definitely competitive. It's definitely noisy, but you can get your company's brand and an ad with an image and a message. You can get it in front of tens of thousands of people, over and over again. Right? We've all seen these ads in our Facebook feeds like oh god i'm so tired of seeing this ad Mm -hmm. but what it's really doing is it's it's branding your company Mm -hmm. it's getting exposures to people so even if you don't get a sale from your ad people are going to start becoming familiar with your brand and so if and when it pops up in a different scenario you might be talking about it with a friend you might see it in an article later on you'll start to think oh yeah i know that brand i've seen it and it's that multiple exposure that pr will sometimes benefit you for too, right. right? So PR, a lot of times people use PR because they want multiple exposures and multiple outlets so people start to become familiar with your brand. Well, now you can achieve that through Facebook and it has become a lot more cost-effective to do so. Mm-hmm. So even though you're paying for those exposures, unlike PR, when you get placed, that's free, but you are paying a PR firm. So even though you're these are paid exposures through Facebook advertising, it still is having a tremendous positive effect on branding. I think it's starting to take away from some of PR's sort of secondary effect of branding your company by getting, by getting placements for you.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, how does that relate to, I know now you also are doing a lot of consulting. Tell me a little bit about how your experience then has morphed into you turning around and being able to consult and help other companies.
1: You know, for whatever reason, my name has gotten out a little bit and I've spoken with people through the years and they've asked me for advice on things and I've always been happy to give it. But, um, I, I soon learned that like things that seemed second nature to me or obvious were, were unknown to other people. And I think right. it just came through my experience. Mm-hmm. And I met with so many people through the years uh, to, over coffee, over lunch. And I was always happy to talk to them. But the truth is it became a pretty big demand on my time. And I, I am trying to help run Threat Experiment. And so I uh, decided that I would try to give more substantive advice but sort of do it through a consulting company that I opened up. It's Sugar Consulting. And uh, so I have a, a nice little group of clients who are typically in the e-commerce space, um, and they do retail. And I've been able to work with them and help anything from branding and marketing, like we've talked about, to sourcing, and uh, and, and really uh, so many other things, email marketing campaigns, you know, general branding of your company. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll help them up with website um, navigability ideas. So I try to help them really with anything and everything that they need. Mm-hmm. And obviously, if I don't know something, I'll be the first to tell them <laughs> I don't. I, you know, I've had people ask me, "Can you can you actually design a website?" Which I cannot, so I, I, I don't do that. <laughs> um, but it's actually been a lot of fun, and I love working with startups and some companies actually one one of my clients has been around for 30 years so I've, i'm working with all types of companies and um I'm, I'm it's really a lot of fun to work with companies i learn from them just like right. they learn from me as well yeah and I'm, i am one of my page one of the pages on my website says i'm like the benefit of having a business partner but you don't have to split your profits with me so i, I think <laughs> that they sounds great sort of, I always work, yeah i always work directly with the ceo and a lot of ceos get frustrated at times because they feel like they're alone, right? They they have to make big decisions. And sometimes they don't feel comfortable bouncing it off the people who work for them. And Mm -hmm. they need someone to bounce it off of. And I tend to be a good second opinion, I think, on a lot of things.
0: Yeah, I do talk about that a lot on my podcast. That you know, entrepreneurship it is a lonely world. CEO type of, uh, especially if you've done the startup yourself and you've bootstrapped it. It is and can be in a terrifyingly lonely world out there. So having great consultants at your fingertips is can be just really move your move the needle on your business. So we always hear from the great people that are being interviewed on this program with something fun. Like I've asked you to give us a few top apps that you. can't can't live with. But before we do that, I just want to make sure people know how to find you. And that's Greg Sugar. And it's S-H-U-G-A-R. And it's sugarconsulting.com. Isn't that right, Greg?
1: Correct. Is yeah. Sugar that,
0: with that, an H. With an H. Um, now, he writes, like I said, for um, for Entrepreneur Magazine. Where else can they find your blogs and other info? And how do you like to connect with people? I,
1: you know, Twitter obviously works. Uh, you can also find me on LinkedIn.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: I'm not hard to find. I anything is anything of those, anything like that is fine.
0: I can't remember if we connected on Twitter or LinkedIn, but neither. I think knows. it was Twitter. <laughs> we're we're, right. we're both All on right. them, so yeah. And then right. as far as looking at the Thread Experiment, where can we find you and take a look at um, the awesome line of uh, men's bedding products?
1: Thanks. Um, so it's uh, threadexperiment.com. We also have you could just go to ThreadX, E-X, like FedEx. Threadx.com. Mm-hmm. Nice. <laughs> if you don't feel like typing a lot, but either one, threadexperiment.com works.
0: For awesome. It. So, Awesome. Well, let's end with something fun. So, tell us a couple of your top apps that you just you just can't live without.
1: Um, so, actually, my favorite one is one called Elevate. Are you familiar with Elevate?
0: It like it has a an eight. Uh, for like a blue eight for the app it's sounding familiar to me
1: no um so w- what it is, is it's like a it's something to keep your mind fresh they give you uh anything from grammar to math to reading comprehension oh, yeah, the these words quick little <laughs> yeah uh-huh. they're, they're not really puzzles they're like it's almost like an IQ test, but they give them to you like in these little one or two minute spurts, oh, nice. memory, they kind of go through everything and it's just a great way to like keep your mind sharp. And because they're only one or two minutes long, you could do as few as one or you could do a few if you're on a roll. And they're just, for me, they're just a great way to keep my mind active. They really are good. They test your accuracy. They could be challenging. They, they test how much time it takes. Um, so I love that app. Elevate is my, is really my favorite app.
0: Well, that's cool. And for an entrepreneur, I mean, you're, and especially as a consultant, you have to be sharp, making, making the right connections quickly on your feet. You know, people are really looking to you for the answers. So I'm sure that's something that, you know, keeps, keeps your brain in check, keeps the brain fog down. Any other one you want to share with us?
1: Uh, when I'm traveling, I admit I do the seven minute workout app. Really? And I only say it like that because it's a little embarrassing when you're <laughs> doing it in your hotel room and like no one's around you. I just feel so dumb when I do it, but I do it and I'm telling you in seven minutes I'm sweating.
0: Oh, that is cool. Uh, Well, you know, I think we we could just release you of the shame, Greg. It's better that you're actually doing the workout (laughs) than not doing it. So we promise we'll take it. Well, Greg, thank you so much for coming on. My audience has been asking for more and more entrepreneurs to come on here and obviously having someone as experienced as yourself and also really moving out into the thought leadership and entrepreneurship that has been really great. So please, listeners, go check out, go follow him on LinkedIn and on Twitter and, um, you know, check out some of the... The articles that he's writing, the 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 thought leadership really is excellent, and I think it, it, it helps bring up some controversial issues, whether you agree with them or not. But man, they are written in just such a great, common sense, truth telling type of way. I really appreciate, uh, you know, not making uh, the entrepreneurship more mystical, but breaking it down, demystifying it, and really helping people understand what's the next way forward and how can I really think about some of these lofty ideas and think about them just as what is the next step. I, I really love how you do that, Greg. So go out thank and um, also take a look at, I'm, I'm really intrigued. I want to go look at the Thread Experiment and I'll show my husband and take a look at what your, your current line is. I'm excited to go look at that, but I've been reading you for a while. And so I really appreciate you taking the time and coming on our show.
1: Wow. Thank you so much. I appreciate
0: it. Absolutely. Well, this is Priscilla McKinney, along with Greg Sugar from Sugar Consulting and the Thread Experiment. This has been Ponderings from the Perch, the Little Bird Marketing Podcast. And And have a great day. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.